This is a day all about Jesus and we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And the biggest question to beg is why would he come to earth? Why would he leave the, the wonder, the beauty of heaven and why would he come to earth? And the answer is found in a verse that you probably knew as a child. It's John chapter three, it's verse 16. Here's the verse, read it out loud with me, would you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. To think that God loves us so much that he lets go of his son to become our savior and he, all we need to do is to trust him, to believe in him. Here's the good news of the resurrection. Here's this how Jesus did that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that what I received, what I received I pass on to you that's of first importance. This is top shelf priority number one, and it's that Christ died for our sins, number one, according to the scriptures. Secondly, that he was buried. That's the proof that he died that he was raised again, that he rose from the dead. This is amazing stuff here. And he did that all according to the scriptures. That's the story of Easter. That's the resurrection story. First Corinthians 15 tells us, the day Jesus died for our sins is a day that we will always be grateful. We'll never forget that. But the day he rose from the dead, we will always celebrate that. That's always a point of great celebration. But here's the thing. The day he left and went back to the Father in heaven, that's a day when it, you think it's all going to end as he waves goodbye to his disciples. But it really wasn't the end. It was just the beginning of a whole new wave because that was the beginning, get this, that was the beginning of huge change because Jesus is the one who changed the world. He is the man who changed our world. A Yale historian by the name of Jiroslav Pelikan, uh, put it this way in his, in his writings. Regardless of what one may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible, with some sort of super magnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal that has at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? End of quote. How much would be left? If you took all the influence of Jesus out of 20 centuries, 2,000 years of history, if you took Jesus out of all of it, how much would be left? And the answer is, not much. Because Jesus seems to have touched every corner of our world. He has literally rocked our world. Sometimes our view is so close that we lose sight of the woods because of the trees. And you have to back away like a historian does and see, this is a man who changed everything. Everything. You fly over 2,000 years of history, you're going to find that Jesus, we have evidence that Jesus was the greatest influencer who had the greatest mindset, who addressed issues of character and permeated our lives with his love. Today is um, April 20th, 2014. <laughs> and why is it 2014? because it's 2014 years after this man. This man came to earth to be the savior of the world. That's how we keep time. We don't even keep time without thinking about the fact that this is the person of Jesus. He changed the way we do time. You can't set a date or open a calendar without recognizing this man changed our world. 
The story of Jesus, you know how it starts because we've all watched the Peanuts cartoon. We know how the Christmas story goes, right? There was Joseph and Mary, and it was in the days of Caesar Augustus while Quirinius was governor. That's the way Linus reads that, right? He gets that from the Gospels. Why in the world would they read it that way? Because that's the only way they had to date it. They had to give it who was the ruler and who was the smaller ruler within the ruler, and that's the way they dated it. It's kind of a clumsy way to do it, but that's all they had. And finally, a few hundred years after Jesus came, there was one guy who just said, look, I read all the kings and I know all the dating, and, but I know this too, and he was a Christ follower. He said, there's one who's a king of kings and he is the Lord of lords, and I date my life back to him. And he started dating everything from there, and all Christ followers did that. And the loyal band found that because he was king of kings, because he was lord of lords, he predates anybody else. And that's why today, when we say, what year is it? We say, it's in the year of our Lord, 2014. He even changes the way we do time, the way we think of dates and time. You can't refer to a map without seeing the imprint of the Savior. On the west coast, there's a city called San Francisco because of a man named Francis who followed Jesus. On the east coast, there's a city called Philadelphia. Why is there a Philadelphia? Because it's a city of brotherly love. It's the reminder of Jesus. We name our cities St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Joe after people who followed Jesus. The city of Bethlehem. There are no fewer than 20 towns and cities in the U.S. called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Maryland, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas, Ohio, and the list goes on. Why is that so? Because we have been profoundly touched by a little village called Bethlehem where Jesus was born and the angels announced his birth. This man changed our world. To the south of us is St. Mary's City. If you've been to St. Mary's City, it's a cute little town. It's really the birthplace of Maryland. The first communion was served in St. Mary's City on the shores, actually. And why do we call it St. Mary's? Because there was a Mary who, who knew and loved and followed Jesus. And just to the north of us, there is a Waldorf. Why, why is there a Waldorf? We really don't know. We just know that they don't like being called Beantown anymore. <laughs> well, so much for that illustration. But the idea is, your map, wherever you look on your map, you're going to see, you're going to see the incredible influence that Jesus had, even in history and time and place. You can't refer to a map for long without seeing pieces, traces, if you will, of Jesus. The instrument of his death, the cross, has become the single most recognizable symbol in world history. It marks graves, adorns jewelry. It is the most popular symbol. It is the most recognizable symbol in all of history. This man changed our world. It was Jesus' influence in the lives of musicians that brought us Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, all the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. You know, they, they were, it was all signed. All of, all of Bach's works were signed to the glory of God whether it's a huge chapel in the countryside or small pieces of artwork, all of it has been under the influence of, man, of a man who changed our world. So you can set aside the, his claims of deity. You can 
disregard his miracles or his profound teaching, his work upon the cross, the complete story of the Bible without error, all of which, by the way, I believe. You may not be there, but I believe that. But you, what you cannot deny is this. This is Jesus who changed our world. He touched every corner of our lives. If you just look at him as a person and ask yourself, who is he? And you look at his claims and his actions, look at his loyal followers. Just look at his followers. What you'll find is this. Jesus changed their lives and impacted the next generation of lives, which impacted the next generation of lives. And you cannot deny the absolute influence he had in all of history. It was G.K. Chesterton who, um, who said the best person to know Christ is the one who's closest to him. That makes sense. But he says the next best person to know Christ is the one who's furthest away from him. Get someone who's way far away. And that makes perfect sense. If you stand close, you'll get a good view of him. But if you back away, you maybe get better perspective, like the woods and the tree kind of analogy. So what G.K. Chesterton recommends that you do is like the historian is back away and see. And what you'll find is this. When you back away and you just look at the scope of history, you'll find Jesus without even intentionally doing it. He became the greatest social reformer the world has ever known. And that wasn't even his agenda. And typically after a person dies, their influence begins to fade. Empires have known this for years. They build buildings, they build pyramids, Towers, whatever it takes, just have something to outlast them because they want something that reminds the people of them. Caesars and Nero's made it their business to create kind of a legacy. And yet when you have children, you name them Mary, Martha, Peter, James, John. You name them after people who followed Jesus. We have dogs and pizza parlors called Caesar and Nero. Think about it. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> How would you like to be the, just think about it for a moment, the emperor of Rome, and you get to heaven, and someone goes, I, you're Caesar. Why am I hungry for pizza? How would you like that? Or people just in heaven just walk around going, pizza, pizza? No, Nero, Nero, dude. Nero, Nero. Pizza, pizza. The influence of Jesus just doesn't go away. He was truly the man who changed the world. And this is, this is another astounding piece to it. Every people, every size, shape, color, doesn't really matter. That's the, the makeup of the band of followers of Jesus. The assembly, the church. Where can you find such a diverse band of followers where there's poor and rich, there's educated and those educated by life, young and old, they're all welcomed and embraced. Never has there been a community like this before. I love John Ortberg's words from uh, Who Is This Man, his book, Who Is This Man? He writes, never has there been the idea of a community like this before. In other words, there wasn't even the thought that people that diverse could get along. And that's what the church is, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. Why? Because we are all one in Christ, Galatians 3. He changed our world, our world. No one influenced the world for good quite like Jesus did. His life and message greatly changed the lives of nations, Bill Bright writes in his book, 
Jesus shaped the way we think about even compassion. And we'd like to think that we're compassionate people, and we are. But in Rome, it wasn't the compassionate people that got ahead. It was the rich people and the powerful people. And the rich people carried their names, and the powerful people built the buildings. One historian from first century put it this way, and I quote, we, we drowned our children who are weak or deformed, end of quote. Uh, when I read those words, it, it just reek. I just choke on them. It's unthinkable. But that same historian tells us that for every one million girls in first century um, uh, census, in, for every one million girls, there were 1.3 and 1.4 million boys born. Why such a great disparity? Well, it's obvious. They didn't want girls. They threw the girls to the street in exposure and they died. These girls were thrown away. No one regarded life. Rodney Stark, in his book on, on uh, sociology, of, uh, the sociology of Christianity, he writes that children were abandoned and, and it was Christians who went after those abandoned children. And they took those children in, those unwanted children in. And you can just imagine what this would be like. And they started the first orphanages. It was the Jesus followers who started the orphanages. And it wasn't just little children that were considered a blight to the, to the uh, system and the economy and society in general. It was widows as well. Uh, it was quite insulting to outlive your husband in that day. So widows were cast aside. But it was Christians who decided, no, we're going to take care of the widows. And why did they do that? They did that because they remembered the words of Jesus, who while dying on the cross for our sins, that's the big idea, and still, what did he say when he was on the cross? Please remember my mother. Would you take care of her? And so Jesus' followers take care of the widows. And Stark goes on to say in his writings that when epidemics would come, and one came in history that gave to us a death rate of one-third of the population. It's hard for us to even imagine. That people began to toss the diseased dead people into the streets to, to discard them, get the disease away from them. There became a kind of a paranoia to this. They started to discard not just the dead people, but now they're discarding the diseased people because they're afraid they're next, they're next. So they got rid of them quicker. And who, who showed up on the streets? Not to cart away the dead, but to bring the sick back to health? It was the Christians. And why did they do that? They did that because they were convinced Jesus touched the lepers and they, he healed the sick and he attended to the poor and the needy and they would too because they are Jesus' followers. And that's why today the first hospitals that we ever heard of and today the hospitals are called St. Jude, St. Mark's, Good Samaritan, John the Baptist, Mercy Center. Why is that? Because they were all started by churches. Why did that happen? Because Jesus changed our world. The Geneva Convention would be formed in a, to, alleviate the, the, to alleviate the suffering of the world. Their symbol would be an or, a, a, a cross, and, and it'd be a white cross with a red background, and then soon behind it came the Red Cross, and then the Salvation Army, and of course, World Vision and Compassion International. Sure, there have been times when Christians have fallen short, and we certainly know our own problems. We are all human and sinfully flawed, without a doubt. But even as failed, 
followers of the Savior, we are still convinced and we still work for good. Why? Because there is this man named Jesus and he changed the world. And he changes our world. We are called to love God with our minds. And so it was churches, ecclesias, uh, assemblies that, that began to build schools for children. And as those children grew up, then churches began to build schools at the university level. Then came the rise of Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. They're called universities. The term universities meaning una under one authority, one center for truth, and Jesus was that center for truth. They weren't called multiversities, they're called universities. And these followers of Jesus were the ones who founded those schools. I, I find it interesting, if you go back in history, you'll find every one of the schools I mentioned were all founded by God-honoring, Bible-believing, Jesus-trusting, Holy Spirit-filled Christians. They're committed to Jesus Christ and, and growing in their mind. Let me just read you a quote, and I quote, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and his studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 3, and therefore to lay Christ at the bottom of the foundation of all sound knowledge and learning, end of quote. You know where that comes from? That's from the rules and precepts of Harvard University, 1646. That same document goes on to say that, that there were two times a day when students were required to read the scriptures Seven in the morning, every morning students read the scriptures and five o'clock every night. They, they read the scriptures to start their day and to conclude their day. 92% of the first wave of universities in the U.S. were started by committed Christians. The basis for truth was the, whom, was the one whom they trusted and the one whom they trusted they found to be the way, the truth, and the life. I'm telling you, he changed our world. Today we have Christian missionaries who go to uh, foreign lands and learn a language and give a lifetime to learn how to write that language down and they give to people groups, dictionaries, alphabets, grammars and in so doing they give to them a Bible and help them come to Jesus. These missionaries are our heroes of the day and why did they do it? They do it because they're following the very words of Jesus and they feel the stamp of the Lord in, impressed upon their own heart. The gospel since by these people have been translated into 2,200 languages. No other book in the, in, in the world has been translated into so many languages. No other book. And what would drive these missionaries? It's because they were changed by one man. This one man will change your life. And why do we as a church, as an assembly, why do we gladly support missionaries who do this translation work? It's because Jesus told us to go into the world and preach the gospel. And here's the amazing part of this. Jesus was not a political figure. He never ran for office, never owned office, didn't have connections with people in power like Sanhedrin and the Roman Empire. He, he didn't have any kind of stature within a military force. He never wrote a book, never traveled extensively, maybe a day or two from home. His followers are less than rising stars. His closest band of followers, it's just... It's almost insulting. The Bible calls them ordinary men, unschooled, 
you know, you get to heaven, and you go, who are you? Ah, I'm one of the ordinary guys, unschooled, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. That's the band of followers. You're thinking to yourself, what kind of impact could a guy have like this? And yet, here's what happened. After Jesus goes back to heaven, nations will model their law after the Sermon on the Mount. And other nations will model it after the Ten Commandments in the same Bible. Because we cannot get away from the fact this man changed our world. Jesus changed the whole political theory of human rights, the Declaration of Independence. When you think about it, in our nation in particular, these truths are self-evident. What, what is self-evident? It is self-evident, the idea that humans are created by God. Where did that idea come from? It came from Jesus. And that's why nations, we work hard at turning the other cheek in relationships and loving your enemy and blessing instead of cursing. And Jesus challenged us to just love our, not just our friends, anybody can love their friend, but love your enemy. This is a man, folks, who changed the world. Jesus changed the way we view life. He, he taught us to live for something more than just the here and now, for something that is greater. He has changed the world. And I would say, no, no, he hasn't just changed the world. He's changed our world. And I, I even go one more time. Not just our world. He's changed our world, our personal world. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that may have been the greatest understatement of the generation. Because he, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, they're thinking about getting to heaven. They don't realize he's going to teach us the way to live on earth the truth to make it possible and the life that leads to everlasting life, he, he really changed our world. And when we trust him, he changes our lives. And because of that, get this now, we now know that there is now, therefore, now, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Death or life, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So we are never ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. Jesus is the hinge of history. He's the hope of the hopeless. He is the help of the hurting. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the greatest teacher, greatest life coach, best friend. He is the greatest gift ever given. He's sparked the greatest movement ever spread. That's who Jesus is. He's a man who changed the world and he will change our world when we trust him. Amen? Amen. Amen.